You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hey, welcome back to another very special episode of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast. Uh, today we have um, the reason behind Delirious Nomads uh, is is with us today. One of the reasons, anyway. Good friend of mine, you know him, of course, from Armored Saint and Anthrax, John Bush. <laughs> What's up, dude? <laughs> um, and you, do you know my cohort, Matt? Here, have you guys met before? Yes, we did meet Matt. We did. Uh, I mean, I'm, we met a little while ago, but um, prior you know, prior to the I, show starting, we met. Yeah, we, okay, we got started, it, got it, got it. Started chatting about his his. Uh, the sweatshirt. We, we obviously want to thank you for letting us borrow uh, Delirious Nomad and pluralizing it for this podcast. We we really were struggling to come up with a name. Um, and then I have, um, which uh, Tracy Vera has seen, I have right in front of me, you guys can't see it, but I have kind of like a, a little display of, of cassette tapes from back in the 80s. And Delirious Nomads is right in front of me the whole time. And I was like, wow, this, this is a perfect name. So thank you very much for that. Um, Thank you. It's a cool title. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. I, I think it, I think it works because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're mostly talking with um, musicians. I mean, we, we're talking some MMA fighters and boxers too, and, um, and some chefs here and there, but, but, you know, mostly people that do a lot of traveling and touring and, and live sort of a counterculture lifestyle. So it's just really a perfect title for us. So thank yeah, you very much. Nomads we are. Nomads we yeah. are. So where do we, shall we, where shall we begin? I mean, I've got some questions about the past, but let's maybe start at the at the, at the present, I mean, we are recording this in mid-April, um, about four, 13 months into the pandemic, um, which now seems to be, hopefully, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, how did how did the pandemic, um, you know, affect you and, and, and the band, and, and what's sort of the plan going forward? Well, in, in a personal way, the pandemic probably affected me a lot, like it affected a lot of people, and that was to kind of stay hunkered down for at least those first couple months, and um, and which you know wasn't the worst thing because you got to hang out with your family and you got to spend time maybe reacquainting with you know members of your family that you don't that you sometimes take for granted or the simple things in life like just walking the dog and we got a new dog during that time which a lot of people did which was cool and um and just connecting again with my wife and my and my kids and, and maybe sometimes those relationships are we're really close actually but you know they still my kids are teenagers now so they're they're starting to they're starting to kind of journey off into their to their own worlds and, and we were fortunate enough to have this happen to kind of bring us all a little closer together just because you had to and that was a good that was a good thing 
Um, in terms of uh, some of the business I, for rock and roll, I mean, obviously nobody's played shows, which has been weird that all this huge collection of musicians probably have a lot in common in the fact that they nobody could play. Um, but everybody had different ways to make music, I'm sure, in different capacities. And um, for Saint, who sometimes actually through our career has had sometimes bad luck, the good thing is this time we actually had some good luck in the sense that we we finished all the recording. So it would be just our luck in the past to just start recording right when the pandemic hit and then we'd have to kind of, you know, not do it or postpone it or, you know, I don't know. It, it, we were fortunate enough to be completed with the recording. So all we did is handed off the, the well, they're not tapes any longer, but they handed off the, the, the recordings to, uh, to be mixed and that was it. We were fortunate enough to just go right into that mode and that was that was awesome so we were lucky enough to to not postpone our record and we always uh, strove to have like an october release of 2020 and, and we still were able to achieve that so uh, that part was good stem play did a live stream that was cool it was fun it was cool for the fans kind of like a glorified rehearsal a little bit of a um you know like a combination of glorified rehearsal and making a video so it was weird playing to the camera it's funny because joey vera said the exact same thing yeah well you know i mean we made the most of it and we were happy that fans were you know who came just watch it did and we played some new tunes which you always want to do when you make a new record of course you want to play new material and we did that the one time um i did some other kind of weird things you mentioned charlie was on your show and i did this quick little kind of combo song with him of an old anthrax uh song package rebellion that was on sound of white noise just him and i kind of doing it, you know, and it was, it was really cool, a fun little project. It was really just a, like a verse and a chorus and of the song, maybe like two minutes in or something, three minutes in of, of that song, but it was fun because we had never really played that song when I was in the band. And um, so it was fun and it was just very spontaneous and organic. So things like that happened and, um, you know, we carry on. And now we, we see that I, in the LA Times it, just yesterday, apparently they listed a bunch of concerts for this summer. Um, so I guess people are getting pretty optimistic. So, yeah, I mean, I'm hearing that we're opening up in here in LA for everything uh, June 15th. Is what, I'm, what I what I read. Great. It's going to be a bit crazy. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I definitely want to. I want to open everything back up, including my restaurants, 100. I want to go to as many shows as possible. I miss concerts so much, but. I'm worried that I just, there's a tiny part of me that's worried that we're going moving a little too quickly. Like, I don't know if you guys know the the EDC festival in Vegas, which is the biggest, you know, electronic um, dance music festival they're opening. They're doing, they decided they're going for it and they're, they're doing it in May with uh, you know, full capacity. That's a hundred thousand people a day uh, with really not, not many just restrictions. Um, I know the Danny Wimmer festivals are happening. Just, he's going to do one in September and, and one in I think October or November, but that feels better to me than like right away. I don't know. But so you never got to tour on the record. Is that the plan? Is that, are you guys going to hit the road as soon as possible? Or, or, or are you going to, I guess I don't even really understand Matt. You, maybe you could chime in here, but you know, it's going to be this unprecedented time where every band that wants to get on the road, there's going to be a glut. There's going to, at a certain point, there's going to be no, there's going to be no dates for bands, especially like on the club circuits. Well, no doubt about that. It, it will be super busy out there for groups um, to want to go and tour and play, no doubt about it. So, I, but I think people are just excited to get back in and start playing and, and touring and, and doing shows. Hopefully we can, we can do that with some 
logic behind it and a little bit of, of, of uh, you know, just a little bit of care. You know, we don't want to just, like you said, go right in all guns blazing and just, and, and, you know, nobody wear a mask and everybody just not care and, and, and take that risk. So if we could do things in a kind of a slow fashion, but still do it. And then time will tell what, what we can do with that. And, and it, did that work? And was that effective? And, or was that a bad idea? Um, you, we're not going to really know until actually we, we probably start having some of these shows and some of these concerts and some of these big concerts. Um, it's time will tell, I think. So um, I'm optimistic. I'm, what else are we going to do? I mean, we can't live in complete fear for the next couple of years because it will suck and we'll all be unhappy and, um, I just don't think society can take it. But that being said, be smart. You know, there's a there's a balance there, and I think if we can try to do that, we will be we'll have more success. Are you guys going to tour then as soon as you can? I guess is the question. Well, we got an offer to do a tour in August, um, and it just didn't work out for other reasons other than um, the the pandemic. But um, so it looks like we might do a handful of shows in December with that same artist. I, I can't reveal it yet. But um, that's the plan is to do like, you know, at least five or six shows. And, and I think they're still going to go on a tour, um, this artist and a support act. And they're striving for August through like late September, early October. So that's like a five week tour for just that art for that for those two groups. And, um, you know, I mean, we'll see if it happens. I, like I said, I saw stuff. All these shows are planned for this summer, whether it's, you know, Deftones, uh, Motley Crue and Def Leppard, um, various bands um, that are are planning. I saw it in the LA Times yesterday for for concerts that are promoting the summer. So, so many things that it's going to happen. Now, time will tell, I guess, if if it really will. Yeah, I mean, it does look. I think I read today, sixty six million people have been vaccinated, um, which is more than they actually expected at this point in time. So, I mean, there's good news there. I get it, man. Like, you know, we're opening the restaurants, we're getting every weekend we're seeing, you know, we're busier and busier and it's good, but we're also noticing behavior that's a little bit alarming. Like people are kind of getting a little too relaxed, I think in the moment and forgetting to wear the mask and try to be responsible, you know, just try to be courteous, you know, and try to be, just use some common sense. I think if you can combine those two things, again, time will tell. We'll see how we are in a couple months from now. And if, it, if stuff goes really south, which hopefully it won't, then I'll be like, ah, oh, we screwed up. We went too soon. Hopefully not. All right. Well, moving on. So you have, in my opinion, one of the more or most distinctive voices in metal. You just do. You, your voice is different than everyone else's. And um, I know you started kind of young, but when did you know you had, you know, it, that you had something unique going on with your voice? <laughs> a couple of years ago. <laughs> I think that it takes uh, some time to, you know, really develop your own unique trip and, and sound. For me, I think it, you know, I really kind of came into my own, actually, believe it or not, in the last 10, 15 years. I really, truly believe that. But because um, my voice is very different than when it was when I was like in my early twenties in the early stages of Armored Saint, you know, it's funny because I'll read reviews and people go, he sounds the same. And I'm like, well, I really don't sound the same actually. Um, because if you listen to like something off punching the sky and then you could listen from Zillary's Nomad, my voice does sound different, but I think it's stronger and more powerful and warmer now than it was then. I just think I sounded like a guy who is like 21 years old, which is what, what I was. I always say that I think that when it comes to singing, the most important thing to be a great rock singer or pop singer or blues or any, you know, of the genres 
um, other than maybe it's like some opera singer or something where technique and everything is, is really imperative. Um, I think it's just more about uniqueness and um, your own vibe and your own sound and style. Uh, you know, I had a, I remember taking lessons probably in my late teens from this one uh, voice teacher and um, she was a woman and she, we were talking about artists and stuff. And then she said something like, oh, well, Rod Stewart, you know, he's terrible. He's a terrible singer. You know, and I was like, what? Rod Stewart? Like, he's, he's like one of the most unique sounding voices in rock and roll of all time. So you may not like his technique and you may think his technique isn't proper, but God, he's Rod Stewart. So right. you know, I was very offended. And, and at that time, I, I don't think I went back to her after that. And thought, that was a stupid philosophy because I'm not looking to be an opera singer. I'm looking to be a rock and roll singer. And uniqueness is everything. So like I say, Lemmy is an amazing singer. You know, technically, was he? No, but his voice is, you hear it, you know it. And yeah. I think that's the most important thing. So that's what I always kind of try to strive for is just having my own sound. And of course, improving technique and, and improving on, you know, tuning, which is, a, you know, can be a struggle for me sometimes. And um, certainly taking care of my voice is, is always a big challenge. Um, but, um, you know, those are the things that I think are most important is when you're a rock singer. Well, that's what I wanted to ask is like, what specific actions have you taken in the last, in the last 10 to 15 years so that now your voice is in your eyes, the best it's ever been? Well, you know, certainly the reduction of the amount of extracurricular activities was probably a big part of it. And, you know, I do like to drink and I still drink. I'm, I don't probably drink as I used to when I was in my 20s or 30s, um, but I do like to drink and, and I still do. Um, but I minimize that on the road for sure. Um, anything else that wasn't drinking that could alter yourself, um, I tried to eliminate that from my life a while ago. And, um, you know, because like, Cocaine isn't good for her voice. It's just not. It's just not going to be good for singing. Um, it's not good for anything, really. <laughs> right. It probably isn't. It really isn't in retrospect. Um, so, you know, it's like things like that, that, um, you know, I also have to watch my diet, which is a drag, because I love to eat, as Chris knows, because I'm a pig, and I've picked out at his restaurant and, um, and at many restaurants and at home. Um, and, uh, you know, but I think that watching – you know, I have a little trouble sometimes with acid reflux and, and a little bit of that. Um, I have my own kind of homeopathic thing that I take now that's, I don't want to be on Zantac for 20 years. I, I just don't think it's good for you. But I, I have my own kind of new thing that I started uh, a couple of years ago that's been really, really helpful. And, um, you know, it's a combination of aloe vera juice and some apple cider vinegar pills and papaya enzymes. And it's worked like a charm for me. And that's been great because I did have some problems with that. And then that's really bad for your voice. I mean, we did yeah, the classic anthrax Pantera tour of like 97, 98 when we went out for like an eight week run with those guys. And it was one of the funnest tours I've ever done um, just because we were insane and every day. And you, when you're on tour with Pantera, there's just, imp it's impossible that you are not going to drink. It's just forbidden, obviously. So you just kind of say, okay. And, um, but you know, drinking that amount of whiskey and then ending the shows um, with like either Taco Bell right before bed or, you know, whatever fast food chain that they ordered a, a, a slew of food from that, you know, it's for after show food that the anthrax actually participated in eating too. Um, and then going right to sleep, not good for the voice. So as much as it was by one of my most memorable tours in my life, as far as having fun, I probably sounded like crap most of it. 
So, um, but I had a great time and they were great shows. So those are the kind of things that, you know, it's funny, like singers have this reputation of being like the party guy and this and that, but really I would say that if you talk to most singers, most of them don't do that because they, they kind of have to take care of themselves. Not that I always did. Interesting on the, on the singing thing. My, my wife is actually a, a trained opera singer. She's got a degree in opera. She's been the halftime show at an NBA playoff game. Like she's a legit opera singer, but she's also, she's primarily an actress, but because she puts down, you know, on her uh, resume or whatever, that she's an opera singer, she sometimes gets auditions to just sing like rock or, you know, and she can't do it. She can sing opera, but she can't sing anything else. It's really bizarre. Right. Well, I would be curious about what she says about her voice. You know, those are the kind of things I find interesting as well, is how she takes care of herself and what she has to do. And so, I mean, look, I've always got a scratchy voice. It's it's just a raspy thing. And that's kind of how I sing. Um, so I could get away with being a little raspier than, than I normally am if I'm on the road, if I do a show. Again, for me, it's I never look for perfection. When it comes to making music, rock and roll, you know, heavy metal, singing, um, writing songs, recording songs. To me, I think imperfection is, is cool. Imperfection. You know, the best Zeppelin records, Sabbath records, these are, they, they were perfect. And there's plenty of mistakes galore. And, and it's just the organic beauty of, of bands playing and, and, and mistakes are part of it. And I actually welcome it. I really do, especially these days when everything's pro tools and very specific and you can fix every mistake. I don't want that. I mean, I don't want to go out there and sound like crap, let's face it, but a couple bad notes here, a couple flubs there. I don't know. To me, that makes it feel real. And, and I, I, I support it. I agree. That. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, under the category of, excuse me if you had this question tossed to you before, but, you know, what, so you joined Anthrax in what, 92? 92, yeah, May. I remember seeing you guys at CBGB's. It must have been 93, huh. I think, um, which is incredible. But how did you, you know, um, did your approach to singing change going from Armored Singing to Anthrax? Um, it, I think my voice was just naturally kind of changing uh, from the 80s uh, into the 90s. Uh, it was just kind of happening, happening kind of naturally is, is the sound of my voice, probably the approach to singing, the style of singing. Um, not as high, kind of trying to find this mid-range re uh, register that I think is a little warmer. Um, a little more comfortable to sing in. I, you know, albums like Raising Fear, even Simple Salvation, I was saying, hi, Raising Fear in particular for Armin Saint. I listened back on that and go, what was I doing? Like, I was, <laughs> I was like, I was taking a hit of healing. Okay, let's sing a women. It was so high and like harder, harder to reproduce now in certain songs. But, um, but I, again, I sing that stuff a little lower and I think it just sounds better in all honesty. But, um, yeah, I think that was just a, like I said, a natural kind of um, progression. Um, and I always say that playing with the guys in Anthrax, it, it brought out a different sound and style to me. You know, playing with Scott and Frankie and, and Charlie, it just kind of, it made me feel and sound differently because I was playing with these other people. So um, I think that was the most important thing. So that kind of just, it kind of catapulted me into a different mentality of singing. And, um, and then I probably... I probably continued that on going back into singing and, and kind of utilize that same kind of uh, mentality as I did in Anthrax and, and, and probably never returned because of course I wasn't, like I said, uh, if you listen to early Armored Saint records, I did have a much higher voice than I do over the last 20 years, 30 years even. So, um, and it just feels, it feels better. So tied into that, 
because you ended up, I re, I was I was researching you to prepare for this, and I realized my introduction to your voice was actually through some Burger King commercials in like 2007. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was like, like about that. talking. Yes. Yeah, um, but like I saw, I like I saw the description of the commercial. I was like, oh shit, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I made a, I was that was like the tag voice for Burger King for about three years. Um, that's crazy amazing it was an amazing time an amazing run and um, very lucrative and and fruitful and, and a lot of fun and you know i was lucky enough to um i had to, I'll, I'll give a, i'll throw a, a shout out to a friend of mine her name was jackie martinoski she was like the first person who became my voiceover agent well this was all motivated by my wife let me say that for starters you know tori is i i would talk to her and say maybe i could get into this and, and, and tori's a casting director that's what my wife does so it was easy for her to kind of say okay let me try to help you with this so um because i found hey let me try to I, I, you know, I use my voice let's try to use it this way if i can and um and she helped me and then i ended up meeting this uh, girl jackie who was an agent and also a huge metal fan so she took she's like of course i want john bush let's go so she did help she helped me and she kind of thrust me into um you know becoming a voiceover actor and trying um and then i was lucky enough after a couple of years to get that job and it was when you get a job like that you know the agent at the time that it was a different agent but she basically said you do realize that this is kind of like hitting the lottery like nobody not everybody gets this and i was like okay you know um and and there's a tr some truth to that because when you become like the voice of a campaign and then if it goes for a couple years or or if you're like somebody like billy vera who's a musician billy vera and the beaters if you remember that art artist from i think the 80s actually he's got that voice. he was actually the original voice of burger king and i ended up replacing him wait billy vera is still the voice of ampm ampm too much good stuff that's him. What's a, what's they got that character now in AMPM? What's his name? Um, he's like, the, he has all the stuff on him, hot dogs, all these different things. And it's become part of their campaign. Anyway, I think it's, he's the voice of that. He might not be, but he's definitely the voice of um, too much good stuff. And he, and he's a rad voiceover actor and, and does very well. And he's had that campaign for years, you know? So when you get it, um, you're really happy. And then when it ends, you're pretty bummed, but you're grateful that you had the time that you did. But um, but yeah, that was great. I made a ton of commercials. I made a ton of, of, of commercials that were uh, you know on TV, and then I did uh, even way more on radio, and it was a lot of fun. Um, it's a it's a competitive business. Um, I haven't had that success since then, uh, unfortunately. But um, you know now people are doing voiceovers big time actors and so now you're not just competing with the voiceover guys in the world you're you're competing with you know jeff bridges and robert downey jr and it's like well what am i going to do john bush or robert downey hmm right <laughs> so, but so my question was like learning to use your voice in that way right more expressively as a voiceover actor did that end up impacting the music um, well, uh, the key to voiceover for me was I wanted to just keep my style of who I was as kind of, you know, street kind of rock guy. And I think that's important. Like when I get auditions for other things and I say, well, that's just not me, you know, that you got to know you're an actor. I'm this dude. I'm this kind of the guy I'm talking right now. That's me as a voiceover guy. So um, I'd like to be diverse enough to do all these things and sound like, you know, a Juilliard, you know, uh, perfectly uh, with perfect diction, British actor. Well, I can't do it. I just, you know, it's just I can't pull it off, but um, I can pull that off. But the funny thing is, 
when you're doing voiceover, diction is very, very important, obviously. You can't just love words. When you're a singer, you know, I sometimes I don't even know if I say words because I'm just singing. Um, and I think that actually sometimes ended up hurting me as an act, a voiceover actor, because my rock and roll world is one where I, I don't have to worry about diction sometimes. And uh, even when we're recording Joey, you know, on this last record, Joey would say, what is that word? It's not, I can't understand what you're saying, what word that is. And um, then I would say, well, what can you can't understand every word Robert Plant said either. So like, it doesn't really completely matter, but okay, let me try to say it a little bit cleaner. And, um, you know, so probably somehow, some way it did, but, um, but again, I think that when it comes to music, I think you can certainly be more loose. How many different spots did you do for Burger King? I probably did, like, I'd say in the course of the time, I'd say probably two to 400. Really? With radio and television, yeah. I probably did, like, 50 TV spots and, like, 150, 200 uh, radio spots. Did you ever get, like, recognized in public because of your voice? Well, I mean, it was a time that I I had left Anthrax, and Armin Sane wasn't quite kind of really having uh, this rebirth again yet. So I was, that was one of the, I mean, it was, it was perfect timing because when I left Anthrax and, and the talk was about doing um, the reunion, uh, my daughter was like a few months old, my first daughter and um, my one and only daughter, but I have two kids, but um, she was like four months old and, 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 and the Anthrax guys, they, I think they wanted to do this reunion. And I was like, yeah, you know, do it, you know, go ahead. You know, I don't, I don't even mean that negatively, just do it. I have a newborn kid. And then this other thing was starting to develop for me shortly thereafter. So um, I embraced it and I said, well, let me do this. You know, let me, and this is rolling here, this voiceover thing. So I'll do that. And, you know, with all due respect, I mean, no disrespect to the music business, but I, I'll just be honest. Um, I mean, we're, I made way more money in the voiceover world than I ever did in acting I and mean, in music, not ever, not even, and it didn't even come close actually. So it was easy for me to, to say, ah, I'm into this. <laughs> this is doing great. I go to the studio, work for like an hour, do like three radio commercials. And then, and then, you know, I'm done for the day. And then, wow, look at the check. It's awesome. So, you know, it was easy to make that transition um, uh, when it came to, nothing really happening in music. Of course, I didn't want to stop making music. I, I mean, music's everything for me, but it was easy to say, well, I'll kind of do this for a while because this is this is happening, so. I do understand why people want to do voiceover work and acting work. I, I was in a movie with Will Smith. I was on camera for about six seconds. You can barely even see me. You hear my voice say one thing. Uh, and 21 years later, I'm still getting residual checks. They're not very big <laughs> anymore, but it's just amazing. Well, it's funny, you know, I, I don't really, I look, you know, I mean, this is the place you're, well, you, people can't see, but you guys can, but this is a studio that uh, my wife and I have, that's uh, our casting studio, and um, I work with her and another uh, casting director, and we do commercials and uh, cast them, and it's a lot of fun, it's a great, I love acting, acting is an incredible, uh, you know, art, and um, I don't necessarily want to be an actor, because, although voiceover is an act, is acting, of course it is, um, but I don't want to really want to go on camera. Sometimes I will because I'm here and they'll be like, you can do this. And I was like, OK, I'll do it. And then I'll audition. And I've gotten I've never really gotten any jobs that way. But 
Um, but I do love it and I do respect the actors because it's really hard, man. You have to deal with a lot of rejection. You got to have Teflon, just like musicians do. There's a lot of parallels and um, you got to be tough and you got to just keep on hammering. And, you know, I respect these people because they do that. And, um, you know, I love, uh, uh, you know, the trait of, of, of acting and, and, you know, I love movies and TV and everything. It's all great. And, and it, But it's a lot of feast or famine. It's a lot of like the music business, you know, there's a... If you make it, you're going to make a boatload of money. And if you don't, there's this middle ground that's just like you just try to try to above water. And I see that for a lot of actors. I see that a lot of musicians, including myself. And you know, I always say, Albert Saint's never been this big cash cow. It's but you know we do. That's why I always say we do it for the love of it because we really do because we don't make that much money. Um, we we try to do okay and we try to not lose money. But, you know, the fact is, is that we've never been this big, giant monstrosity of money. And um, and even when I was in Anthrax, you know, I did pretty well and I had a nice car and this and that. But it was actually the beginning of the decline for Anthrax. The 90s were. It's just a fact. And, you know, I, for me, it was like I was still doing way better than I ever did insane financially. So it was easy. But for like those guys, they struggled with it, actually. It's like, oh, no, we're playing where we used to play there. And now we're playing here. And I was like, this is great. Well, I used to play there and now I'm playing yeah. here. So, you know, it's again, it's all perspective. But, um, you know, it's, it, you know, all of that stuff's just a lot of fun. And you got to just keep kind of level headed. And I don't know, for me, it's, it's, it's all this stuff, music, voiceover, whatever it is, you want to love it. You know, that's the important thing because money, you just, you just don't know. You just don't know. It's funny. I mean, you're talking and I'm listening. And, and I'm, actually, have you met, have you met Natalie, my wife? I don't, I don't know if you've met her at the restaurant. I don't know if I have actually. I don't know. But I mean, she, she's done over 60 commercials and uh, she wow. was like, she was like the, the, uh, the act mouthwash girl for a couple of years, like five years or whatever, but she's done, she's done about 50 or 60 commercials, but, but yeah, for everything she books, there's at least 10 or 15 things that she goes out for that she doesn't get booked, if not more. Um, yeah. So yeah, I totally, I, I, I totally get that. Um, Going back a little bit, kind of all over the place, but kind of going back, I don't know the story behind this, but how, how I should know the story behind this, but I know when you actually joined Anthrax, how did that come to be? Were you still active with Armored Saint or were you not active with Armored Saint? How did the, and how did the, how did you become the singer of Anthrax is basically what I'm asking. Um, well, the story is, it's a, it's kind of a funny story. Um, because one other association I have in my music career is that I was asked to join Metallica back in the day. I don't know if you, know, if you guys know that, but every year, every new record, every, everything that happens new in my life, um, this is brought back up because it is a, was a fact in, back in the day that, you know, when, when Metallica, before they made Kill Mall, they were looking to maybe hit a lead singer. And so the Army Saint was kind of happening at the time and Metallica knew us. And so they asked me and, I said no, and mainly because I was Armored Saint was doing great. Me and the Saint guys were were really you know close guys. We had been childhood friends, some of us, and um, we just were doing well. So I was like, well, why am I going to quit my band that's doing good to go join that band? I love Metallica, but I'm happy here. So it was it was easy for me to make that decision. Um, but now I got to live with it for the next for the rest of my life. And then some, but. Um, you're the guy that didn't join Metallica. What an idiot. You know, it's kind of, but, um, 
But I always say that I, you know, I, I don't need that kind of pressure. I would have changed maybe heavy metal because they don't, I never expect James Hetfield was the only guy to, to should be, you know, fronting Metallica and singing for Metallica songs, and that's that. Um, so, and that was fate. But the irony is that when I would when it, when that was kind of happening, I was getting a call from John Sazola, who's at the time was Metallica's manager and eventually became Anthrax's manager, ran Megaforce Records. Uh, you know, it was a happening guy in the independent metal world. And he was a manager and he would call me and, and you know, we'd talk and and then that kind of, you know, didn't happen. So it petered out and I, I kind of lost contact with him. And then he became Anthrax's manager and he was had a lot of success with Anthrax. And then like 10 years later, give or take whenever it was, I had a message on my, I was a driver. I, I, I used to drive and deliver packages in my car. It was great. It was a great, one of my most fun jobs because I actually wrote a lot of lyrics when I did that job because I was in my car listening to songs I were working on. I'd pull over, write some lyrics, continue, drive, deliver a package, put my hair in a ponytail because you had to look presentable and then go in. That's when I had hair. And then, you know, I go back in. I wrote almost all Symbol Salvation. I wrote the lyrics on that record. Um, a lot of them, at least, uh, doing that job, being a delivery person. So, um, so I came home from my job and there was an answering machine message. I pushed it and it was John Zazula's office calling. Um, you, I, have, I have something I want to talk to you about. And of course, I had just heard that Joey um, it left Anthrax, Joey Bellatano, shortly before that. And um, so I was like, huh, I wonder what this is about. Because, I mean, literally, we hadn't talked in 10 years and I knew. Um, that he was man, Anthrax's manager. And so the I call and he goes, well, guess what? I'm calling you about the same thing. And I was like, wow, that's funny. So then I said, okay, well, eventually what we decided is that we should probably like really officially meet because I kind of knew those guys, but I, I really didn't. I think I knew Scott kind of very more, it was just we were acquaintances more than anything. And um, the other guys I really didn't know. Uh, we, you know, our, our paths had crossed through the years in metal, of course, but not really too often. And so I said, well, we should probably meet. And then we met and then we jammed and uh, it did feel good. And it did feel, it, it sounded cool. There's, there's this crazy undying loyalty to the Saint guys and, and Armored Saint that is, I don't know, it's, it's probably dysfunctional, but it still exists. And it's, it was hard to just say I'm leaving, you know, especially after we made Simple Salvation, which was a heart. Uh, it just it was a heart-wrenching experience because we we dealt with a uh, Dave Pritchard who died during the period of time when we were writing songs and then we made the album didn't think we were going to make it went on the road the tour was pretty rough and then you know we were going through this kind of just probably a big exhale of a large sigh at the time of everything that we experienced so then that came along and um it was I, I just felt like how am I going to abandon these guys but as time went on it became more logical that this was the right thing to do for my life at that time. And I think the important thing was to make sure that we could work together because I really wanted to still write, write some lyrics and, you know, be a part of the writing process. So um, we got together and we, we were going to, it was, Armored Saint did a show in Hawaii playing with Overkill in Honolulu. And after that show, I was going to fly home from to LA and then go directly to New York to go work with Anthrax. And I told the guys on the flight home, I'm like, look, here's what's happening. I'm doing this. Uh, I'm going to New York. And if, if it goes well and we can work together and it's, it feels like we have some, you know, some, some vibe, I'm, I'm probably going to leave the band. But the only guy I didn't tell was Gonzo because Gonzo had stayed in Hawaii for a couple of days with the girl that he was dating at the time. And so I didn't want to go, hey, dude, 
here's what's happening. I'm doing this. Enjoy the rest of your trip in Hawaii. Don't worry about the future. I thought that was like, really would have been horrible. So I didn't tell him. Of course, he found out probably by Phil's brother, understandably. And so he was extremely pissed at me and, and really pissed for a while about that. But I was, I think I did what I thought was the right thing at the time, but maybe it didn't, it didn't seem like it. So in any case, I, I went to New York and started working, writing. I think only was the first song we maybe worked on and we probably finished it in like, you know, like a couple hours. And so once we did that, it was like, whoa. And to this day, it's probably the most popular song of my era and Anthrax and a great song. And um, it was pretty obvious that there was a vibe between us. So then it was like, okay. One of our bands on Blacklight Media just covered only. That's right. You said it. That was really cool. And uh, the response has been incredibly uh, positive. Like, uh, awesome. That's great. Such a, such a great song. Charlie was really pumped about it. Um, he <laughs> loves that song. We, yeah. do, we want to wrap this up because we don't want to keep you all afternoon. Um, I guess... I, the last two things I would ask would be, you know, what's next for, for Armored Saint and John Bush? Um, but also, you know, could you have imagined when you were, you know, when you first started playing with, with you know, those guys in high school um, that you'd be sitting here in 2021 at the tail end of the pandemic answering a question about what's next for Armored Saint? Huh. That's a great way of putting it. You know, I, I don't, I think that one thing that we had, one of the ambitions we had as, as kids and, um, when we really started to take the band seriously in the early 80s. I think we had this objective that we wanted to be, have this longevity of like, say, we want to be around for for many, many years, like the Stones and the Who, which is so weird because they're still doing it, right? Yeah. Insane. But like, that was our our ambition then is to be like those kind of bands, right? Judas Priest or whatever, all the bands that we love, Sabbath, you know, name it. Which again, all these people are still playing, which is insane. But yeah, that was the goal is to really have this longevity and, and to be around for a long time um, because you can't really determine uh, the successes financially or uh, you know, record sales. You just don't know. A lot of it's out of your hands, but you can, you can determine your own length of time and how long you do it. And you have to have a lot of persistence and um, you, know, you just have to hang in there because it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge you. So um, I think from that standpoint, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really proud of the guys in Saint, um, you know, for just still being here and still doing it and really making, you know, our last record, it got, this isn't me saying it's like the, the, the critical acclaim was, was through the roof. And when people are saying this is maybe the best record you ever made for almost 40 years later, those are pretty awesome accolades. So um, I'm really proud of this for that. You know, that's just something that I think is, yeah, everybody would strive to have, you know, of course, we want more money. Of course, you know, I want a bigger bank account. Yeah. Who does it? You know what I mean? Like right, the right. most gnarly punk rocker wants money. Yeah. And if he says no, he's a liar. So we all want money um, to some degree, but you also want to do it on your terms and have it done with your own integrity. And I think that's the most important thing. So, um, and we've done that. So, um, you know, we'll hopefully do some dates uh, next year or maybe at the end of this year and, and play some shows with our, you know, with this new record that, well, it's not going to be, it's came out in October, so it's not so new anymore, but it's still the last thing we did and we haven't played material from it on a legitimate run. So I think that's the real big goal. Plus we're doing the Symbol of Salvation live DVD that comes out in, I think this October of shows that we did when we did our record in its entirety. 
And that was back in 18 or 19 now. I can't recall. I think 18. And that was really amazing. And and there's some really cool stuff in, in association with that because it's um, the songs, obviously, the whole record and us playing it live. And there's some good banter of storytelling that I've that me raps and as you can tell I have to talk sometimes. But um it's fun. It's a really cool thing. Yeah, I'm so so bummed I missed that tour. I kept trying to make it and I kept missing it. So I'm uh, definitely looking forward to that coming out. Well I mean you know once the record comes out you know there's no reason why we can't you know kind of go back out and do some more dates doing that. You know, I don't I wouldn't know about a whole tour, but you know it will be it will give us a reason to say, hey we can do this again and it, it would be fun. You know, I'm, I'm available to join for a week leg and uh, I'll bring a little barbecue grill and we can we can have some fun in the parking lot <laughs> or back. You do. I mean, we would be so uh, excited if you did that and you you have an open invitation at any time we're on the road to come out and just hang out. I love it. I'm, I'm going to take you up on that. Uh, we will let you go. What a great conversation with John Bush. Thank you very much, guys, for having me on. And of course, the best of luck with, with all your endeavors, of course, but in particular this one, because, uh, you know, this is new. So that's awesome. Thank you so much. And I will see you, you at the restaurants very soon. All right. Great. Thank you, guys. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest, to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.